0: Hello, everyone. My name is Joshua Gilliland, attorney blogger on Bowtie Law, and with me is Jessica Meterson. Together, we are the Legal Geeks. How are you tonight, Jess? Hello,
1: Josh. I may be Jess, or I may be Raven impersonating as Jess. You never can tell. One, Any second now, I could turn back to my blue skin and kick some ass and run out of here. So, I may be Jess, I may be Raven, I'm not saying.
0: You no, know, I... That's a new one. So... <laughs> That's new you never one.
1: know. I'm just saying, you have to wonder.
0: I I will. I'll throw out random questions on Facebook and see if you can see them. <laughs> and then I'll know if it's the real you or not. So, Watch
1: my eyes start to sparkle and change colors.
0: You know, that happens around me with women frequently. So oh, yeah. I think
1: they say your eyes sparkle, Josh.
0: No, they're too brown. But anyway. <laughs> <that's-> <laughs> Let's move ahead. So with that and people are now wondering, what are we here to talk about? (laughs) We believers, we're here to talk about X-Men Days of Future Past. So I read comics as a kid. Jess, did you?
1: I read comics, but I never really read the X-Men. So, you know, I think um, I come into these X-Men movies really a fan of the movies without the background. So I often have to have you explain things to me or my brother has to explain things to me. I don't have the background sometimes, but it also gives me a totally different take on the movies. And I think sometimes that makes me appreciate certain movies uh, in a different way than the comic fans would.
0: And that's fair enough. So, in my household growing up, my brother and I had a division of labor, so he collected the X-Men. I occasionally would pick up ones that would have a crossover, but I read X-Factor. Now, the difference between the two, X-Factor was with the original first class of mutants, the ones that they started the series with. That was Cyclops, Beast, Angel, Jean Grey, Iceman, and Professor X. And oh, Okay all but Professor X are in X-Factor. And that starts in the mid-'80s, I think, 86. And slightly different spin. Won't go too far down that road of why why they were separate. But you had multiple mutant comics at that point in time. Professor X lost in space. You had Magneto running around with the X-Men, beating the school. Lots of stuff happening. So there was a lot of stuff. But that's how we divided, so that way we weren't both... Buying the same comic.
1: That is very efficient and effective. That uh, that's very wise. I could never cooperate that much with my brothers when growing up, so I don't think that would have worked for us.
0: Yeah, we got along well in that sense. So that's good. Yes.
1: So, what did you think of the movie as a comic book fan, knowing the, the all the background and the real details? What did you think?
0: I enjoyed it a lot. So, like my view of the X Men movies, that the first X Men movie made the comic book movie viable again. So when you think back to Superman coming out in the late 70s, that was awesome. People just had an amazing time. Superman 2 comes out, everyone has a good time. Things start declining, with Superman 3, 4, and things, you know. Superman
1: 3 does not get enough respect. I love Richard Pryor, and I still think that thing with the computer, the kind of the first Borg, still freaks me out all the time. But anyway, I digress.
0: Yeah, they not the same. So it, and by the time you hit Quest for Peace, it's just, it's done. It's just done. So the late 90s, it's been many years since we've had a good comic book movie, and X-Men comes along, and impresses the heck out of everybody it's like rock on this is fun this is beautiful two I just thought was okay last stand I really didn't like and I've only seen one of the Wolverine movies for his origin and haven't seen the, the last one but I really liked Days of future past I thought it they tried to do a clean reset Oh, and I, I loved X-Men First Class. I thought that was fantastic. Loved that one. I initially was like, oh, God, another. And then I saw, I was like, this is fantastic. <laughs> Yay! You know, it's, it was, this was a beautiful thing. And they did a very good job with the Cuban Missile Crisis. And uh, I love seeing Magneto as a Nazi hunter. They could have had an entire movie about that, and I would have been okay with it.
1: Yeah, and, that would actually be an awesome movie. Quentin Tarantino would do that very well.
0: So you're going to go hunt Nazis? Works for me. With an awesome soundtrack. Yeah, I'm, you know, I'll i spend 15 bucks on popcorn and another 20 on snacks and, you know, tickets, and yeah, let's, let's do this. Let's That's go, right. Let's go hunt some Nazis together. So uh, I'm <laughs> totally down with that. So it's a beautiful thing. So in this, having the bridge with the two uh, casts was well done some of the interviews that they've had where you have both actors and they're imp- impersonating each other is cute and delightful so yeah that's been really nice and i thought days of future Pass fixed a lot of things because uh, they made some mistakes and we're now if all goes well we'll see one set in the 80s for the next movie
1: huh See, now, not being a comic book fan, I really enjoyed the first one. And especially, obviously, you know, Sir Patrick Stewart and Sir Ian McKellen. I mean, as Professor X and Magneto, io9 had a neat piece on, like, what, you know, what have been the best stunt castings in uh, sci-fi movies. And I actually agreed with all the ones that they said. Um, but Ian McKellen and Patrick Stewart were fabulous. Um, and, uh, so I love the first one, got me hooked on X-Men where again, before I didn't really have any knowledge of it. The second one really did not care for, would probably never watch again. The third one I love, like I actually watched it on Christmas Eve cause I'd wrapped up my presents and was done with, um. Uh, what is it, Love Actually, so it was time to watch X-Men, blew me away, loved Jean Grey because I felt like her potential had been so unrealized in the first two and it was so annoying so it was nice to see her. The ending totally got me. Uh, So I love the third one and love First Class too. I do say seeing... Kind of, you know, the basis for Magneto's concerns about being hunted as a mutant, that it was based on being hunted as a Jew in, um, you know, Nazi Germany. I thought, again, that's part of what's so great about the X-Men, where they tie it into real serious historical persecution, right, of certain races and groups. I'm like, so, you know, Magneto, maybe not the best guy, but he's got some legitimate concerns, um, so I love that one. And so this one I thought was good. When I saw that Brian Singer was directing it, who had done the first two X-Men's, I was concerned because I thought, you know, he's a good, capable director, but not an amazing one. So that's where I kind of like, I didn't have, I had good hopes going in um, and it was great to see everybody. I wish we'd seen more interaction between Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen in this one, as opposed well to just kind of a couple little lines in the handshake sort of thing. That was the one disappointment I had. I thought there wasn't enough of, you know, the present day, the older um, Magneto and Professor X interacting, especially after the end of X-Men 3. I would have liked to have seen a little bit more between the two of them and how they got to where they were. But other than that, I did enjoy it very much, but it was not my top X-Men movie.
0: Yeah, it's interesting when you talk to long-term comic book fans versus those who have come in at the movies in the different reactions. So it is fascinating case study between those who grew up reading comics and those who just go to the movies and enjoy them so it's,
1: it's like the watch reading a book and loving a book right I love the book Seabiscuit so so much and so the movie fell so short for me whereas everybody else loved the movie because so I'm like well yes if you haven't read the book then the movie seems great and that is the problem I mean yeah the movies are have to be different from the books um Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas is probably one of the few examples of a movie I can think of that was so completely true to the book and did a good job with it, but that's a pretty rare thing.
0: Yes, it is. Well, since we're lawyers and not comic book authors or actors or do special effects, let's break this down and talk about legal issues and just issue spot from Days of Future Past. (laughs)
1: There were a few issues. Um, my favorite one, obviously, is just let's break into the Pentagon and release a guy who's been at least accused of killing the president, right? I mean, you and I were discussing before whether he was actually tried. I'm guessing since he's in a bunker below the Pentagon that they probably didn't bother trying you know, him in some special courtroom made of glass or, or acrylic, plastic probably being the 60s, um, but, uh, you know, I do think breaking into the Pentagon and releasing some sort of felon, I guess I can't say convicted felon, but somebody accused of killing the president, that would be a pretty big legal issue right there that they didn't have much concern for.
0: Well, that would know, also be interesting because we normally, historically, with presidential assassins, we don't get them. You know, with the exception of Garfield's assassin, we actually tried and hung him. okay. You know, when you look at John Wilkes Booth, you know, that was, if it actually, you know, there's some who just, you know, claim he survived, but, you know, history shows that he was shot in a barn. (laughs) And and, uh, I don't remember with McKinley's assassin, um, but I'm pretty sure they tried him. But it's not, you know, normally you end up with the, you know, Kennedy or Lincoln type situation of, did we get him? You know, and, and there was Or
1: somebody gets in the case of Kennedy's. Well, that's the debate. If you believe it was Lee Harvey Oswald, which I do, um, he was obviously got by Jack Ruby. I mean, yeah, I guess there are other conspiracies. That's true. It's usually the attempted assassins that are easier to catch, Jay. <laughs> we John, have a lot of them.
0: John Hinckley, you know. Right. John Hinckley. It's like there's a guy, you know, granted insanity defense, so it's not like we're, he's roaming free anyplace. You know, no. he, he's locked up. And to-
1: kind of. I was in D.C. when he wasn't really locked up. You know, he was at a mental hospital there. And, like, they were kind of talking about the fact that he could kind of wander freely. And in theory, he could have wandered off. And I think that was a thing when I was there in the early 90s. So like, maybe we should tighten security on the guy who tried to, you know, shoot the president.
0: To impress an actress. And I think they're allowing... a very good actress. Yeah. But when you think about, hey, how am I going to impress her? Really? You're going to shoot the president? That was your plan? <laughs> Well done. Men
1: come up with lots of crazy ideas for impressing women. <laughs> the honking of the horn is such a great idea.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, women like to be yelled at. So yelling at a <laughs> evening the vehicle, they they adore that. That's a great way to find your future wife. So
1: As Seinfeld says, these are the best ideas we've come up with so far. <laughs>
0: yeah it's that's just not a good plan so
1: we're digressing again back to legal so yeah so you're saying assassins presidential assassins
0: and we have magneto below the pentagon and you're right with him getting broken out now there is a little issue with the elevator ride you know quicksilver is magneto's son and so
1: (gasps) okay see i didn't know that they kind of implied that so i'm like oh my god is that magneto's son but then they didn't go anywhere with that so i forgot about it he is the son. that's awesome
0: so when you, but he doesn't know that other than like, right. my mom used to hang out with a guy who could do that. And like <laughs> look his face, like, oh, crap. You know, you know, oops, you know, oh, there are twins. Lovely. So yeah, so there's, there's that. But when you think about it, it's like, okay, so was there a paternity issue there? Child support? And, you know, if, did she think he was dead? What was going on with that? So there are those issues, but Again, 60s, did, did a woman who got impregnated out of wedlock try pursuing any of those options? Yeah, so, I don't know if
1: they had as many rights and protections for moms trying to get support from deadbeat dads back then. And honestly, on the list of Magneto's list of crimes he has to worry about, that's probably pretty slow down on the list.
0: <laughs> but just throw it in. Just throw it in. You know, assassinated President Kennedy back child support yeah. <laughs> order of it's like yeah. you derailed the nation on what we could have been and you weren't paying for this kid <laughs> you horrible horrible human being <laughs> so
1: that's very good issue spotting there all right I like that one I'd not thought of that one at all so after the breakout of Magneto any other legal issues
0: Oh there were dear, god tons. Okay, you you assaulted a bunch of Pentagon employees from in you know, and and impersonating, you know, officials within the Pentagon. So like you have that true taking place. But that's just like that, that one scene with, you know, also the great song of, you know, time in a bottle while quicksilver runs around. Well done. That was
1: That was an awesome scene with quicksilver there.
0: That's Excellent. So there's that just in that little capsule. I don't know if they legally get into France. So I don't know if they have passports, if they just sneak in. so
1: Magneto had to, I mean, there's no way he's like, hi, I'm Magneto. Let me in. He probably had to have a fake passport at least.
0: Yeah. And, and granted, Beast is smart. So they probably could figure it, figure out how to forge them. And Professor X being loaded probably could work out something as well. That does help. It would. Or you just... Flying to France in 1973 and everything's gonna be okay so there's that now we have crimes taking place in France so we have that issue of they get into a fight that involves the Russians and Vietnamese and the French gunfire
1: Raven impersonates, uh, well, attacks and then impersonates a Vietnamese general.
0: Yep. Oh, and then her impersonating the U.S. Uh, officers in right. to bust out American soldiers so they can go AWOL. So she was aiding in that process. But since they were going to be experimented on, she would have a good necessity to defense of, I didn't want them experimented on. So, yeah, that was a pretty good one. So you could you could argue that one. You could have that fight of what they were doing was an unlawful order. That's right. So there is that side of the equation. But she still impersonates a whole bunch of people because that's her power.
1: It's a pretty cool power.
0: Yeah, so we have gunfire, we have and then she gets medical care. Now in the United States, in this day and age, a gunshot wound would be reported. I guess, in France in 1973, that just happens, so... I've seen
1: the same thing, too. I'm like, that nurse is there, like, I'm changing your bandage, but I guess the whole thought that this lady could be blue and then she could look like Jennifer Lawrence was just too much for anyone to even conceive of, so I guess the whole blueness thing is really kind of the identifying characteristic that stuck out.
0: Yeah, am I blue? Am I blue? But she, you know, again, being a shapeshifter, she has that ability. So let's, let's get to the sentinels because there are multiple issues there well we do have magneto breaking back into the pentagon to uh to steal the helmet so that way professor x couldn't find him so there's a little... Which I'm
1: like impressed that he knew exactly where that was, by the way. They're like, all right, Magneto, we're putting you down here, and your helmet, in case you're ever looking for it in the future, is down the hall in this special room. So I thought that was kind of funny that I'm like, that's, a, that's real good security there. I would have maybe hidden that further away or put that somewhere else. It's kind of like in... Um, Marvel agents of Shield were like, we're gonna put the biggest and baddest stuff all in one central location. So it's very easy to break in and get all of it at once.
0: <laughs> yeah, this will be easy. So but it's that's you know, the point of defending things. So that's right. Yes. Yes. But ma'am. yes.
1: So the sentinels. The sentinels are clearly horrible, awful. Um, this whole idea, you know, and it's a idea that comes up a lot in sci-fi movies. And I think it's a very powerful message that sci-fi movies can send. This whole idea of kind of this preventative force, right, or this kind of um, robotic force. So in theory, it takes out any kind of you know human bias or something. It's just like look, it just goes out and just kills the bad people. So you don't need to worry. I mean, it's a whole idea in Winter Soldier. It's even a little bit of the idea back from the Tom. Cruz Minority Report kind of idea, again, where you're backing up, you know, before the crime is committed, but it starts with this very altruistic kind of, we're just trying to protect you, you don't need to worry about these things, they're just out there, they're just going to get the bad guys, that's it, you don't have to worry, because it's only for bad guys, and if you're not bad, then you don't need to worry, Yeah, but is an argument that is made, unfortunately, by real people.
0: Yeah, and normally you need a reason for this that is a crime of some kind, that you are causing actual threats you're either if it's a law enforcement type of thing you're robbing people you are breaking and entering you're doing horrible things if it's a foreign policy thing it's because you have missiles aimed at us or you fly airplanes in the buildings little things like that so there are reasons for people to be a threat and that we're in a state of war that's another thing to go well because of your race we're just going to execute you that's a little too Third Reich for anyone's taste. Agreed. And when you, you know, it was brilliant with the film because as uh, Trask is trying to convince Congress to fund the Sentinel Project, and you have a congressman, and I don't know if that was supposed to be Tip O'Neill or who. You know, it takes a point of view. I was trying to
1: think about that. Maybe that was kind of a Tip O'Neill sort of character. It seemed vaguely familiar, and that would make sense if it were him.
0: Yeah, but he wasn't Speaker of the House yet. So
1: And he didn't have a real Boston accent.
0: Mm-mm. So I don't again that, that would require them doing some real homework to figure out like <laughs> it really look like one of these congressmen or a US senator, you know, let's let's go with it. But they we're lucky
1: they got the president right.
0: Yeah, they they did, so that's nice. But the Congress to go, We're we're not gonna go out and kill our own citizens. Well, I mean like, you know, they'd be almost like, what's wrong with you? Type response of like we're not going to go out and kill our own people with your giant death robots. That's crazy. Yeah, crazy talk, and which was the entire reason for them to stop Mystique from you know committing the assassination that would have put them on the path toward to begin with. So, right out of the gate in the United States, you cannot arrest somebody without probable cause. We have all these constitutional amendments about trying people reasons for search and seizures you know we have all these constitutional protections we can't just go like you're right let's kill them
1: they might be bad they might try to hurt us
0: you know i mean it's very core it's more koromatsu than koromatsu. because with taking
1: it to an extreme
0: yeah with the internment of japanese and lim- less germans in world war Two. But in World War One there was massive German internment camps and mm-hmm. changing names and all kinds of stuff. So people forget that because it's a hundred years ago. But
1: Well, there wasn't also a landmark Supreme Court decision, basically upholding it and saying, you know what? We're actually cool with this horrible discrimination.
0: Yeah, that didn't happen. So right. but they were interned. Right. They weren't executed. And that's with sentinels they are robotic drones to go out and kill people based upon their racial status Mm -hmm. now in this it's not skin color it's not eye color it's not hair color it's genetic and whether or not they are homo superior versus homo sapien now i would argue that someone who is homo superior is still a human being and still a u.s citizen because they're born of other US citizens. When a mutant is born, they can be a product of either a union of two mutants, two Homo sapiens that have a child that has the latent gene, or a mutant and a Homo, sap- homo sapien. And so factoring that together, it'd be telling parents, I'm sorry, we're gonna execute your child just cause. Mm -hmm. the law would not tolerate that. Now, it's for a whole bunch of reasons, because we have now created a racial classification that would fall under strict scrutiny because it's- Under the
1: Equal Protection Clause. You haven't mentioned that, I think, but yes, under the Equal Protection Clause.
0: Yeah, totally under the Equal Protection Clause, under both the Fifth Amendment and the 14th.
1: Right, so it's incorporated, and that means the 14th Amendment, for those who aren't hardcore legal dorks, the Fifth Amendment actually only applies, or the- Yes. Fifth Amendment only applies to the federal government. It prohibits the Bill of Rights, only prevents the federal government from doing things to its citizens. What the Supreme Court has done through the 14th Amendment is incorporate most of the protections of the Bill of Rights to the state. So in other words, not allowing state governments to infringe upon your freedom of speech or your freedom uh, to exercise whatever religion you choose. And that also includes right. That means you can't discriminate based on race, state, or federal
0: government. Yeah, and the 14th Amendment actually has the Equal Protection Clause written into it virtually right. like the fifth, so it's there twice, one for the feds and one for the states to say, you can't do that. It's one of the Civil War Amendments because what was that war fought over? Oh, yeah, slavery. So that was part of the Reconstruction Movement to tell the traders no, you will not get to oppress people anymore. And they drew a line with the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments to put an end to that garbage.
1: Amen, <laughs> Josh. All right.
0: You know, I, yeah, so that's the way I You're on
1: your soapbox. I like this. I like righteous indignation, Josh, talking about no racial discrimination.
0: So we have that. And, you know, I spent a lot of time doing 19th century history classes back in college. And that was <laughs> really good at con law. Uh, the day. So this is one of those wrapped in the American flag moments. So and I feel like
1: Lawrence tribe is arguing to the Supreme Court in front of me or something.
0: So applying that to homo superior and saying we're going to execute you along the side of the road because we don't like your race would not fly. There's absolutely no way that that can survive strict scrutiny, which for those who have not taken constitutional law classes, <laughs> and need strict scrutiny broken down to you, It is the most intense form of review that we can have over a statute, and it's applied for uh, situations that deal with race. It was, you know, actually came about in Korematsu, where they said it met uh, strict scrutiny, Uh, even though there are other justices who would have voted the other way if they had not, if the uh, Solicitor General had not been lying in argument. there's a little of that, but strict scrutiny, to break it down, there are a couple different ways to phrase the test, but uh, it deals with uh, there has to be a compelling government issue uh, interest, and national defense can be that, but it also has to be narrowly tailored. And you cannot say we're just going to go out and kill everybody who's a mutant is narrowly tailored There's, because you're you have convicted them for race, And nothing else. There's no mens rea, there's no crime that's been done whatsoever. And that's kind of like saying we're just going to round up and execute the Irish. You know, you you can't do that. We have laws prohibiting that and the United States is not supposed to roll that way. So when you look at what the movie was doing in 1973, under the guise of national defense, to go out and just do mass executions, there should have been a little more debate.
1: Yes, and that's and again, that's what the congressional you know uh, leaders seem to be doing a little bit. But you're right, then President Nixon. Then all of a sudden, there's a couple of things, and all of a sudden he gets concerned, political pressure. We've got to act tough. You know, obviously they're putting that um, kind of in the face of the whole withdrawal from Vietnam. So he's feeling vulnerable. He's got to show that America is tough. But yes, at the end of the day, there is no um, legitimate defense for this. But that's always. You know, according to all of our sci-fi, comic book, and movie writers, our government, you know, is easily persuaded to just, like, you know, initiate and okay these horrible programs. where it's like, we're going to go identify a whole bunch of people and, like, kill them somehow. And the government's always like, okay, which makes me very nervous. I'm like, I don't think our actual government is that bad, I hope.
0: Yeah, it's, we don't have camps. <laughs> you know, it's...
1: I don't think we have any sentinels. I know we have drones, but at least we don't have any sentinels yet.
0: Well, that's part of the the power of the film because Sentinels are drones. Yeah. Okay. And we might be using them for surveillance right now. There's a there is a ton of laws being debated and going through state legislatures from North Carolina to Illinois dealing with police use of drones. Huh. And there's even congressional discussion because it freaks everybody out, and they will allow them, some of the bills that's written will allow them for surveillance, but you need a warrant. And it, a lot of them outline when a warrant's required. But none of them say, like, it's okay to arm them. You're not going to go, like, we think there's a crack house there, so we're going to do a drone strike.
1: We're going to check it out. If it looks bad, we're just going to bomb it right there, right then.
0: Or to go, that's a little dilapidated. Let's just do a drone strike. And we're, we're not going to do that.
1: That could be a meth trailer. That looks like a meth trailer. There's a lot of heat coming from inside.
0: Yeah. So let's, let's go, you know, do a drone strike and everything's going to be okay. When there are neighborhoods with craters, people are going to lose it. Mm-hmm. And you can't say, well, you're safe now because we blew up the crack house. All right, don't you feel safer now? That's not how America works. And you're actually seeing legislatures taking a stand going, we're not comfortable with the idea of a drone. And the Sentinel is the most horrific type of drone that you can imagine.
1: It is. In a way, it's actually worse than the Winter Soldier, uh, like, hyper aircraft carriers because, again, yes – what was, their, what was their supposed qualification, how they were going to decide who was a threat? But again, at least it wasn't based on race. So I'm like, that actually is worse when you're like, we're just the mutants. Although obviously, um, as we saw in the future, X-Men, um, you know, the Sentinels went beyond just mutants, but it was always in theory tied to some sort of mutant thing where the Winter Soldier, I can't remember what their criteria was, pre- was for who they would get to shoot.
0: And it's effectively predictive coding. Yeah. yeah. You it was got to
1: minority report kind of thing. I think that's right. Like, that's right. That's right. It was predictive coding. I forgot. Yeah, just based on all the data they would assimilate, they would decide who was a risk.
0: Yeah. So it's still mean?
1: awful, but it's actually a little bit better than just saying, based on your race, we've determined you're a threat. At least there's a little bit of credible, credible evidence.
0: Yeah, it, there's at least a tiny bit of evidence. No charges <laughs> whatsoever.
1: And it's we're still si- awful. still awful,
0: but... We're going to skip arrest and trial and just kill people. Like, yeah. that's... That's not America. That's not how we do things. And it's interesting that, you know, that you saw a lot of, you know, after 9-11, the threats in movies were basically 9-11 type threats. Like you didn't know who the bad guy was, that something horrific happened and it's happening around you and you don't know why. Now we've seen in two comic book movies, the threats being ourselves and the response To a threat. Instead of responding to the threat in a sane manner, we're prescribing flying aircraft carriers to kill people based upon predictive analytics, or we're killing people based upon their genetic code. And that, so it's swinging out the other way, and I don't know if this is some subconscious way for Hollywood to try doing an allegory of. This is why we don't like drone strikes. This is why they're making us uncomfortable. This is why it's it's fascinating to see the number of legislatures that are taking it up because nobody's and it's it's blue and red states and it's not like you know I think I, I'm not positive but North Carolina is kind of a red state most of the time. I assume I outside of certain cities, yes. I mean, like, they did go for, I believe it went for Obama in the last election, but, you know.
1: I think that was a new thing, going blue in a presidential election.
0: It was, I I think. I I need to double check. But I thought that one was by a Republican. I I need to go back and look to see. Pretty sure the one in Illinois was from a Democrat, because that's a deep blue state.
1: so it is right Although there have been republican well actually I take that back no i mean chicago and northern illinois is very blue but there have been republican governors i don't know who the governor is right now that's awful but you know southern illinois is actually very southern as i learned when i tried a case down there um so illinois is kind of one of those odd states but you are right i think this is an issue that crosses political parties and tying it back to sci-fi this is kind of one of the reasons that i've always appreciated sci-fi be it in books in movies or in comic books and i think marvel in particular has always done a good job with this is they address both current kind of political issues um you know marvel has been fantastic with civil rights issues obviously i mean i really feel like the 60s kind of helped crystallize who they were um but that it also does talk about you know serious social political kind of issues and what do we want from our government and kind of contrast. I mean, even, you know, Godzilla was actually a commentary, right? On like post nuclear Japan and all of that and the, you know, that kind of nuclear Holocaust. So, you know, these, um, I don't know, they can present some very powerful allegories quite frankly, which is why I always defend sci-fi to people who try to mock it as, you know, it's just like for little kids when it's a comic book form or just for some geeks or something when they mock me for loving Buffy the vampire slayer, which is actually very deep
0: agreed and this film touched on a bunch yes the other thing that they touched on that again you have to be like me and be the history geek as well as the con law geek and going so okay Mike Nito has this little arc where he decides to kill the president and the cabinet do a decapitation strike on the U.S. government so a couple things a couple things that we know for sure the Paris Peace Accords were around January 27th, 1973. So that would have been like two weeks after Nixon had his second inaugural. Sparrow Agnew would still be vice president of the United States. He hasn't resigned in, in uh, disgrace yet. Uh, Nixon does go through a variety of cabinet members, especially after a new administration begins. So there, there that happens. I actually looked up all those folks because that's how I roll. We have Magneto picking up RFK Stadium, which should be in January, but it looks like summer. True. It looked like that groundskeeper was working on a baseball field, but I'm not positive. And I really do believe that the Nationals had left D.C. to become the Minnesota Twins in like 1960. So I don't think there was a baseball team then. And baseball's not played in January. And for anyone who's been to D.C. in January, it's cold. Very yeah.
1: cold. Very icy and windy.
0: With a with a couple exceptions. And granted, I didn't look up what the weather was that day in D.C., but it looked rather warm and happy.
1: It was not a winter
0: day. No, no. So he picks up RFK Stadium, drops it around the White House, and then th- rips the bunker out from underneath the White House. Which is cool. And then decides to threaten the president and everybody else. So, okay, a couple of things with that. I appreciate the fact he survived a Nazi death camp and was experimented on and went through horrible things and killed Nazis. Totally down with that. Let's suit up and go do that together. Uh, he knew a war would come. So killing the president and basically confirming all the fears that would launch the Sentinel Initiative didn't seem like a good plan just from that aspect.
1: Yeah, that was a bit of a dumb plot point.
0: That was a little odd. I mean, I totally get, it would have made more sense in my mind, probably not as cool looking for storytelling purposes, if his plan was, I'm going to make these things shoot each other and be a total failure and have it be a giant embarrassment. So the country will not support this and it'll be a huge, huge fiasco, and everyone will be humiliated and, and I win. That would have made more sense from a Machiavellian point of view. But if Nixon's killed along with a bunch of the cabinet, things get weird. So let's let's do a little analysis. Would Sparrow Agno Agnew have been there? Maybe the vice president doesn't always hang out with the president because we want continuity of government in case something happens. So there's a touch of that. Uh, But at the same time, it's like, Hmm, I'm not sure, you know, he would have been there, but if he was there, you know, you would kill the president and then kill the VP. You then had, uh, the next in line would be the speaker of the house what the time was Carl Albert, and the speaker may not have been there. Now, for a giant policy rollout that's going to involve a lot of money, you might have had key congressmen there, and so the speaker of the house could have been invited, might not have been. But if the president's killed, the VP's killed, he could be next in line, unless he's killed. So if he was there and got got knocked out. That would have meant James Oliver, who was a United States Senator, who was the president pro tempore of the Senate, would have been the next in line. So he would have been president, unless he had also been killed by a, a sentinel and Magneto, which then would have put us you know, under the leadership of Secretary of State William Rogers. Now, if Rogers was killed as well, that's where we start moving down the food chain uh, because after the Secretary of State, it's the Secretary of the Treasury who is the next in line. And that's what that would have been George Shultz. I don't know if the Secretary of the Treasury would have been there. Uh, it's not quite within his purview to be hanging out for that.
1: He'd have to print more money to uh, keep the program going.
0: Yeah, so uh, you, maybe... Was maybe, that
1: be George Shultz, George Shultz, who later became Secretary of State under Reagan? Yep. All right.
0: And then Stanford and all that good stuff. So uh, if he gets killed, you know, in this attack, the next in line would have been uh, the secretary of defense. And so at that point in time, uh, the secretary of defense was Melvin Laird and then after the secretary wait, which
1: i have to interject of course that was always what was so funny right about because alexander haig was secretary of defense at the time that reagan was shot correct right so that's what was so funny of course with his whole Uh, i'm going to jump to the head of the line and be like don't worry i'm in charge here
0: no he was actually secretary of state
1: oh all right so he was still jumping the line not quite as far why did i think he was secretary of defense
0: uh that would have been cap weinberger and um, so, huh.
1: And but anyway, so again, it is funny um, the whole, yes, jumping ahead. See, Josh knows the order of secession, or succession, not secession, yeah. better than the actual uh, cabinet members.
0: Uh, order of succession went in inverse uh, order uh, percentage of population of slaves. So South Carolina was first, and North Carolina was last.
1: Ah, oh, look at this. Josh is full of historical knowledge, and it keeps time back to race-based discrimination.
0: No, it's so. that way. So after that, we had the attorney general uh, who would be after the secretary of defense, and that would have been Richard uh, Kleinist. And then after the attorney general, uh, you would then have... <laughs> Let's see. now. think about this. Think about this. Uh, secretary <laughs> of the Interior... <laughs>
1: I think all of them were there, Josh. I think we're pretty good on the whole.
0: <laughs> yes. I mean, like you can, they're all on your post. <laughs> yes. So you can, you can end up with the Secretary of Agriculture in, like, the worst-case scenario as the president.
1: And hey, elect- get back elect- to farming values.
0: It would freak out the country if something like that happens. Like, what, wait, how many? Wow so hey
1: but we may have avoided watergate if that had all happened who knows what world we'd be in now but woodward and bernstein you know it'd be totally different so
0: that and if it'd been you know either the speaker or the senate pro temporee it would have switched to a democrat
1: Ooh, see that would have been interesting
0: so what's like now with you know the speaker of the house is the third in line who's a republican Uh, oh
1: a very tan republican
0: you know what happens, but yes. uh, it, it's it's fascinating to think about because we actually are prepared <laughs> you know, for, for this nightmare scenario of the Tom Clancy airplane flying into the Capitol building. And take- That's true.
1: Josh's use of the word fascinating there is a word uh, probably, what, about 10 other legal-slash-historical-slash-political-slash-sci-fi geeks would use there. Um <laughs>
0: and that's me so that
1: is you you and your um yes there is uh i'm sure there's a group it's probably a josh Gillivan fan club at this point somewhere i'm sure so and right now they're finishing out their little list of uh who would be the next secretary
0: <laughs> I'm, I'm sure that there is josh cosplay taking place at different <laughs> uh, conventions you know, I'm I'm sure that's happening. Uh, who knows at the Geeky Awards there could be people dressed like me. That that would be at
1: least in bow ties. Bow ties as an homage to Josh and all of his awesome political historical knowledge. Josh, every time I talk to you, I learn something new. So
0: and knowing's half the battle. With that, <laughs> with that being said, they they did a lot in this film, and that made me think about those issues. It's like, wait a minute,
1: they raised a lot of issues.
0: They did. And, and God bless them for doing it because, you know, I initially didn't fully understand Magneto's leap, but I would understand the rage having been a death camp survivor, seeing something of that magnitude going to happen again. Yeah. Agree with a decapitation strike on the U S government. And I thought that was just a touch out of character because he's, while he's ruthless, he's also Machiavellian.
1: Yeah, that was just kind of stupid. It was a very kind of just stupid, you know, what Raven did by killing one person made it really bad in the future. I'm going to do something that will be 10 times as bad, and let's just see how bad we can make it. I don't know if it's just pure rage, or I really think it was just a convenient plot point. So that that being said, Michael Fassbender is still awesome, although I still love Sir Ian McKellen. And him walking around in the cape, he's still better in the cape. He can work that cape better than anyone else. So,
0: But the interviews with both of them were pretty awesome. And, you know, Fastbender just seems like a really cool dude that you want to handle. Yeah,
1: the dancing, did you see the dancing one where uh, James, is it McAvoy, Michael Fastbender, and Hugh Jackman were all dancing? That I know. That was an awesome one, too. Yes, yeah, so we'll have to find these and tweet these.
0: Yeah, it's it's like all right. I I like these guys. I like these guys. They they're fun. So, um, well, and
1: everybody should follow Patrick Stewart on Twitter because he is the best on Twitter and he is freaking fantastic. And I adore him. And the pictures of him and Sir Ian McKellen doing adorable things is better than puppies on the internet.
0: They're they're like the number one uh, tourist in New York when they go because they're yeah. wearing bowlers and having fun. So it's like. I want to go hang out with those guys. Those guys seem nice. And-
1: they do. So well, we- Josh, I feel like we've covered quite a wide range of topics yet again when talking about one movie. It's amazing how far afield we can go and how deep we can go, in particular you can go, <laughs> on some of these issues. So we always learn something, even if we don't want to, from you, Josh.
0: <laughs> Why I frequently go to the movies alone. <laughs> so- uh, you know, I'm not taking notes during the film, but I will afterwards when I get home. So, like that's that's oh, that's, how that,
1: that's hardcore geek. That's a legal geek for you, right there, Josh. Number one legal geek.
0: Yes, yeah, and I'm not a mutant, more uh, technological wonder. If we're going to go with the old uh, Marvel role playing games, but yes, so very much <laughs> in that that category. Not an altered human, so uh, but yes, you get the idea. <laughs>
1: On that note, I think it's time to say goodbye. I'm going to go change into a different persona now and whip up some fabulous
0: 70s outfit. You go, girl. And America, (laughs) stay geeky. Stay geeky, America.